Hey guys, it's Blake, and you're listening to Blonde Hair, Black Heart. So, my regular listeners may remember a couple months back when I discussed an argument that I got into with some friends at an IHOP in Hollywood at 4 in the morning. Well, the saga continues. One of those friendships is dead and buried. Mourned it, over it, the flowers have wilted. But the other friendship, I had really held out hope that there would be some movement in rebuilding the relationship and getting back on track. Well, I'm no longer hopeful of that. (laughs) So I spoke with said friend this weekend. We'll call her Emily for the sake of this podcast. And it didn't go well. In fact, she even said to me at one point that I was basically behaving like a real housewife. It stopped me in my tracks for a second. Has reality TV started to negatively influence my relationships IRL? Have I been watching too much of The Real Housewives? Has being a Bravoholic had a poor impact on my life? I seriously thought about this for a moment before coming to the conclusion that no, there's no such thing as watching too much Real Housewives. Have never, could never. But I did just want to unpack the whole situation and lay it all out there. One, because I love mess, as you guys know. But two, because I think it'll be really therapeutic for me to just put it all on the table and hopefully never have to talk about it again. If anyone in my life asks me what happened to my friendship with Emily, I will simply refer them to this episode. Honestly, it's more about efficiency than anything else. So let's dive in. I guess it's important to give some backstory. At the center of all of this drama is another friend. Let's call him Brandon. Brandon dated this literal crackhead named Thomas. That's his real name. It's not even worth my time to think of a fake one for him. Um, But they dated for far too long, and there was far too much drama. Cheating, lying, drugs, you name it, they had some sort of blow-up in their relationship over it. One time, and this is the only example I'll give, but it's the only one I need to, Brandon and Thomas were at a club together, and Thomas went to the bathroom and disappeared and never returned. He blocked Brandon's number and finally resurfaced like two days later. When asked what happened, he claimed that he met some guy in the bathroom who randomly gave him some drugs and Thomas got so instantly horny that he just had to leave the club and go home. Alone. Sure, Jan. Lucky for myself and my husband Matt, we live a state away in Arizona and never had to experience any of the bullshit with the exception of our friends telling us these insane stories. Shit got so bad, in fact, that one of our other friends, Brandon's old roommate, no longer speaks to Brandon or Emily because of how they handled all of this. She just couldn't take it anymore. And for the longest time, I didn't really get it. You know, I never judged her for walking away from her friendships with them because I knew that there were things that I was missing, but I just didn't see it firsthand to understand it. Now I know, and lucky for me, she and I still have a great friendship, and now we're even able to commiserate together over Thomas the Trainwreck. So last summer, I invited the entire group to come visit us for my husband's birthday. I even included Thomas. Long story very short, everything that could go wrong did go wrong logistically, including a crazy monsoon hitting and forcing me to cancel the pool party that I had planned. So I was scrambling all weekend, but I did what I could to make it super fun for everyone, especially Matt, the birthday boy. Uh, the weekend did not go well, to say the least. Not even getting into details, but anything a guest could do in someone's home that is totally inappropriate and out of line was done. Thomas talked shit about me to my husband after I went to bed. He stole stuff from the house. He threw multiple temper tantrums. It was wild and well beyond anything I had ever experienced. Thomas not only mistreated me and the rest of our guests, but he was also awful to our friend Brandon. They even got into a fight one night after partying and everyone went to bed, and Thomas tried to force Brandon to leave with him at four in the morning and drive back home to Los Angeles. 
from Tucson, Arizona, while drunk. It was appalling, and as friends, myself and Matt felt very protective. So, after the weekend ended and everyone left, there was clearly some thick tension within the group. About a week later, Matt starts getting random texts from Thomas, sending photos from the weekend as if nothing had happened. It was weird. So, Matt responded and said, Thanks for the photos, but I think we need to discuss what happened. There was a lot of things that were said and done this weekend that were not okay, and I'm not okay with how you treated my husband or my friends. This text is important, so remember it. And the text was apparently so upsetting to Brandon and Thomas that, from that point on, we didn't hear from Brandon for months. This was the end of July, beginning of August, and it wasn't until November that I finally heard from Brandon again. In that time, Brandon and Emily and Emily's fiancé remained tight, and they all hung out pretty regularly up in Los Angeles. I would hear from Emily's fiancé, let's call him Jack, and he would tell me often about how pissed Brandon was at me and how he was talking shit again, saying ridiculous things like I had intentionally cancelled the party plans to piss them all off and start a fight because I never liked Thomas to begin with. Yes, I intentionally ruined my husband's birthday. Oh, and I paid extra for the monsoon. I asked Jack straight up, are you and Emily defending me and telling Brandon that he's wrong and he's being ridiculous? The answer, of course, was no. I stay silent to preserve myself, was the exact response from Jack. Yeah, I still have the texts. Brandon finally called me after four months of icing me out, and he cried to me on the phone about how he and Thomas had finally broken up for real, and he was sorry about everything that had happened. He also explained to me how he had hit rock bottom. He was broke, about to be homeless, and he couldn't afford to pay for his phone bill that was about to be shut off. So I sent him money. He also begged me to help him stop partying so much. He mentioned No Drink November, which is apparently a thing? What is it with November? Like, yes to mustaches, no to alcohol? Okay, got it. <laughs> a week or two later, we invited our friends to come with us to Lake Arrowhead for a weekend to stay at my brother's Airbnb. It was a free trip for all involved, courtesy of us. Brandon couldn't come because he had to work. He had just gotten a new job, and he was also in the midst of No Drink November, remember? <laughs> but Emily and her fiancé Jack joined us. While we're in Arrowhead, Emily gets a call from Brandon, who is cat-sitting for them. He had gone out the night before and had gotten so drunk that he missed work that day. I, of course, expressed my frustration when she got off the phone with him. I'm so disappointed, I remember saying. That's when Emily went all in for Brandon. He's just going through his process, Blake. He needs to do what he needs to do and feel what he needs to feel. Think about it from Brandon's perspective. I explained to Emily that that's frustrating to me because he's asked me to hold him accountable, and I don't like being made into a bad friend for expressing concern or disappointment when he isn't holding up his end of the bargain. I also explained how having my friend not speak to me for four months only to call me and ask me for money felt a little icky. I was starting to feel used. And her response was, well, Brandon needed his space. It's, it's what he needed. <laughs> okay, well, what about what I needed? Things went on pretty much like that for a while. It helps that we were a state away and don't physically see these people on a regular basis, but it was clear that Emily was leaning into her friendship with Brandon hard. Then, in March, we were in California for a birthday party, and we made plans to see everyone in West Hollywood. That's right, it's IHOP night. So, over the course of the night, Brandon kept making weird comments to me about how he was so happy we were friends again, but then quickly bringing up how he was still disappointed about how I handled things with Thomas. You know when people are drunk or on drugs and they're just on a hamster wheel? It was that. So I finally gave in and I asked, what are you disappointed about? 
His response? That text message that you sent to him was way out of line. Remember the ever-important text message? So I explained to Brandon, I didn't send any text message. I literally never spoke to Thomas again after you guys left that weekend. I don't even have his phone number. This conversation repeated itself literally four separate times that night. With each new club that we hopped to, it was like the bouncer flashed Brandon with Will Smith's memory eraser from Men in Black, and we needed to have the conversation all over again. I kept repeating myself. I never sent a text. Finally, at IHOP, at the end of the night, slash beginning of the morning, things came to a head between Brandon and I, and in the midst of it all, I turned to Emily and begged her to back me up. You were there. You know what happened. Why can't you just have my back? She stayed silent the whole time. Eventually, I stormed out, firmly slamming the door on my friendship with Brandon and yelling at Emily, why don't you defend me for once in your fucking life? I was exhausted of her telling me to see things from Brandon's perspective while sitting there, witnessing him have a completely skewed perspective of how things went down and not try to get him to see my side at all. The next morning, I immediately texted Emily and I apologized for blowing up and how things went down at the IHOP. You know what they say, no good happens at IHOP after 4 a.m. But we need to talk, I said, and she agreed. A couple weeks went by, and finally I got a text from her saying she was ready to talk and asked if I was available. She called me, and I talked for about 10 minutes, explaining my perspective on things and telling her very clearly that her friendship with Brandon was between them at this point, and however they feel like they need to support each other is on them. But my focus is on our friendship and how I feel unsupported, unheard, and not backed up by you in this friendship. I explained how Brandon had lied on me multiple times and no one ever spoke up to defend me, including, by the way, that night at the IHOP where in our fight he completely denied ever borrowing money from me, something Emily knows is true because he also borrowed money from her. He lied about other shit too, and Emily sat there, and I asked why she didn't speak up to defend me, not against feelings or opinions, but against lies that she knows aren't fact. And she played dumb. She was like, what lies? And when I laid them all out, she just changed the subject. Finally, after me explaining my POV, I was ready to hear her side. But she had none. She said to me, I don't know what to say to move forward productively, so I'm not going to say anything. I was shocked. Uh, how about start with, I'm sorry. I don't want you to feel that way. I'll try and be more aware of your needs from our friendship in the future. I don't know, any variation of those would have sufficed. But for real, in my opinion, there are two ways to respond to this. You either say, I'm sorry, I'll do better. Or you say, actually, I don't agree with you. I think I have been a supportive friend, and here's why. But she had nothing. So we ended the call with me under the impression that once she had sat with it and figured out what she wanted to say, I would hear from her. That was two months ago. Her birthday came and went, to which I reached out and wished her an HBD BTW, but still nothing. So yesterday, I finally texted her and asked her what was up. She and her fiancé are getting married this year, and Matt and I were asked to be in the wedding party. Their joint bachelor-bachelorette party is next month, so what's the deal? Are we still included? She sent back a long text basically saying that while she's sorry I feel the way I feel, she doesn't agree with how we handled the fight with Brandon. She thought that we were all in agreement after Matt's birthday weekend that our priority is Brandon and making sure that he feels safe and protected and doesn't get isolated from the group because he's the victim in all of this and no one else is a victim. Okay, fair. So let's look back. Who got isolated from who? I never iced anyone out or stopped talking to him for four months. 
Then, she says that she was also extremely upset by Matt's text that was signed by her without her consent. <laughs> okay, this damn text again, which I didn't write, send, or even know about until literally hours after the fact. First of all, Emily wasn't included in any sign-off and it wasn't implied that this text was from anyone other than Matt. Matt clearly stated that he witnessed Thomas be disrespectful to all of us and he wasn't going to stand for it. And second of all, I didn't write this text. Why is everyone coming to me about this damn text? You guys are all friends with Matt too. If you have a problem about a text he sent, go address it with him. So I reply, and I basically said all of these things in response. I also mention, you didn't answer my question about your wedding and whether or not we're still included. She replied, I didn't answer because I think our relationship is more important than one event, and I think there's a possibility for more than one outcome. Why are you so set on blowing up the friendship? I'm set on blowing up the friendship? Because I asked you if we're still included in your wedding that you asked us to be a part of? This is where I lost it. I said to her, I have tried to talk to you on multiple occasions. Five, to be exact. At IHOP, when I asked you to have my back. The day after the fight at IHOP, when I texted you and apologized. When we talked on the phone two months ago and you had nothing to say. When I texted you on your birthday. And again now, when I reached out again to see what the fuck was up. Her response to this was, I have never had this level of drama in any friendship. And to be honest, I feel unequipped to navigate it. It's so much rehashing of past events and weaponizing of details. It reminds me a lot of Real Housewives. <sighs> There's not really anything you can say to that, right? Once someone pulls out the drama card, it's kind of like pulling the crazy card. You know, anything you say from that point on is just going to be chalked up to drama or being crazy. It's a manipulation tactic, and I'm sorry, but this is a conversation. It's called talking. That's what people do. Now, let's break down what you said, though. Rehashing past events. Okay, I asked if we're still included in your wedding. You replied by bringing up the weekend last summer and the text message, but somehow I'm rehashing past events. And what the hell is weaponizing details? If you mean correcting inconsistencies in the story, sure. Maybe from now on when people are proving me wrong, I'll just say they're weaponizing details. Great. What's concerning to me is that Emily's a third grade teacher. I want to ask her, if you are unequipped to handle a real adult conversation with one of your supposed best friends, how on earth are you equipped to shape the future of America? Like, I'm certainly not trying to question her teaching capabilities at all or shade her career. I'm just questioning how she handled this conflict. If she has two students who get into a fight, is she going to tell them to sit down and talk and try and find a peaceful resolution, whether that's agreeing or agreeing to disagree? Or is she going to tell them just avoid each other until graduation in 10 years? For real, it just seems like such a lack of emotional intelligence for someone to be incapable of resolving conflict with friends and just chalk everything up to too much drama, or to even think that adulthood is or should be drama-free. That's not how friendships or relationships work. And on the subject of drama, the person you're rallying around, Brandon, is the root cause of all of this drama. He is nothing but drama. I swear to God, I have not seen the guy once in the last four years where there hasn't been some major drama. Every time we all get together, he cries, he screams, he disappears in the middle of the night or gets lost. Last year, we went to Palm Springs, a trip that we paid for him to go on, by the way, and he did all three. And Emily has chosen not to support him, but enable him. And we all know how that goes, just ask Kyle Richards. But for real. Oh, and did I mention he's her man of horror in her wedding? I mean, man of honor, my bad. And while I've certainly argued my feelings that Brandon is no friend of mine, what I have never said to Emily is that he's also no friend of hers or Jack's. 
I have countless text messages from him where he would sidebar from a group chat to make fun of something one of them said. He constantly shat on their relationship. He said he never thought that they would or should make it down the aisle. He even sent me text messages making fun of her wedding ring when they got engaged. Like I said, I've never told her this. I would never want to hurt her in that way. But I have the receipts. And to say that I'm more drama than a friend who has literally woken up in a dumpster behind a nightclub with no recollection of the night before, on multiple occasions, is insulting. And incorrect. I'm not causing drama. This isn't some storyline I've concocted to appease my fanbase. I'm standing up for myself. So, you can say that it reminds you of The Real Housewives. Honestly, I'm grateful for all of the screaming banshees on Bravo. They've taught me to be strong-minded, communicative, vocal with my feelings, and take no bullshit. Am I surrounded by The Real Housewives all the time, and does it show? Maybe. But, Emily, you're surrounded by third graders all the time, and that definitely shows. One of the best things about growing up in Arizona is that there's incredible Mexican food on every street corner. And you know what goes best with good Mexican food? Traditional Mexican horchata. Don't know what horchata is? It's creamy, delicious rice milk flavored with cinnamon, vanilla, and sugar. Okay, you thirsty now? Me too. Luckily, even if you're far from the southern border, you can get your horchata fix every day with cinnamon. Cinnamon is a brand created by my good friend Tyler, who is even more obsessed with horchata and all things cinnamon than I am. He's developed all-natural skincare products and more, crafted in California with ethically sourced ingredients and infused with real cinnamon. Have you heard of the antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, or antioxidant properties of cinnamon when applied to the skin? Or how about how it helps treat acne? What about how cinnamon promotes blood flow, helping with skin elasticity by bringing blood flow to the surface of the skin and helping to moisturize skin with all of that added circulation? Some of my personal favorite products from Sinmin are their signature lip balm that gives your lips a sweet tingle and a subtle natural plump, their all-natural deodorant developed for sensitive skin, and the Coco Chata body beverage that leaves your body hydrated and smelling like heaven. They even have candles and air fresheners to keep your entire home, car, or office smelling like your favorite dessert. With Sinmin, you'll enjoy all the benefits Sinmin has to offer your skin and your senses. Visit Sinmin.com, that's S-I-N-M-I-N.com, and use code Blake at checkout for 15% off your total order today and receive free shipping on all orders over $50. That's code Blake for 15% off your order at Sinmin.com. I may have a black heart, but I can be sweet sometimes, and Sinmin definitely helps. Okay, let's talk about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Rena and Kyle are out to lunch, and Rena never takes off her sunglasses despite being indoors. This is her new look, which if her hairstyle has taught us anything, we can expect for at least a few more decades. In addition to the oversized indoor eyewear, she's wearing bottle cap earrings and a padlock around her neck. You guys, I'm dead serious, she looks like a straight-up trash person. Or at the very least, someone whose home is infested with rats. Also, my prediction is we're going to see Rena with a line of oversized sunglasses on QVC next season. I'm putting 20 bucks on it. Sutton and Crystal go try a pancake cake, or a crepe cake. Looks delish. Meanwhile, Rena mentions to Kyle that Erica is upset by the LA Times article that Crystal, Sutton, and Garcelle did. I want to know more about this article. How did it come about? Were those the only three asked? I want details. Rena tells Kyle about Sutton's Watch What Happens Live comments about the Elton John charity gala. She's really dead set on having this be a storyline this year. 
It's always so funny when someone says something kind of in passing and then the person who it's about ends up making it their entire storyline and it's like, none of us would have even remembered the Watch What Happens Live comment had you not brought it back up on the first episode this season. Like, honestly, most people don't even watch Watch What Happens Live. Sutton tells Crystal that she thinks it was more of a miscommunication. It seems like Sutton really doesn't think that it's going to be that big of a deal. <laughs> Buckle up, Sutton. Rinna reveals that Harry texted Sutton and asked her, WTF? And Sutton never replied. So this is a little bit of the storyline that's been playing out on social media. A lot of people didn't believe that Harry would do this because he does seem like a pretty sweet guy. And remember how he basically denied that he was ever really upset with Garcelle over the sauce? However, he did accost Kyle once on a hike about Kim. Remember that? Anyways, Rinna's posting a lot of receipts online lately, but I don't know, they aren't like good ones. They don't prove anything, but she's trying. Harry and Rena are setting up the seating arrangement for Harry's dinner, and Lisa purposely puts Sutton down by herself. It's petty Betty, but it's also something that I would do, tbh. <laughs> in the car ride to Harry's dinner, Kyle tells Dorit that she's disappointed in Sutton's Instagram posts, and then tells Dorit and PK what Sutton had said about her not having a gun pointed to her head. PK is fuming, and it's kind of weird timing on the way to this event. She's playing chess. You know, she really does act like she always is trying to be friends with everyone for friendship's sake, but she's really just a good reality TV producer, you guys. The birthday party begins, and when Sutton arrives, she kind of like head nods at Erica, to which Erica just scowls in return. These two hate each other. They really do represent such polar opposites, especially coming from the same place and having similar backgrounds, but it's all class versus all ass. The Diana Jenkins arrives with her hairstylist, I mean, fiancé, Asher. No, for real, for a split second I thought she brought her glam guy. You know, how, like, Mikey was always Erica's plus one before she cut his salary in half last year? Crystal describes Diana as the exact opposite of her. Totally unrelatable. I love to see it. I think every show needs a little bit of both of those things. You know, we need some housewives that we can lean on as the voice of the people, and then we need some that are so outrageous and unrelatable that it makes the show interesting. Erica and Diana meet, and Erica is instantly all up Diana's butt. If you recall, I previously discussed the rumors about Diana's alleged work as a madam, so maybe Erica was looking for work. Sutton apologizes for misspeaking and talking out of turn, and compared to so many of the apologies we've heard on The Real Housewives, I buy this one. Rinna responds by saying, you canceled your table, let's be clear. Okay, I'm gonna break this down as best I can because it's confusing. Rinna claims she was supposed to go to the event with Sutton, but a few days before she got an email saying Sutton's table was canceled. Lisa then scrambles to find a table because they can't afford to buy one, so she agrees to do an interview with IMDb in exchange for seats. But then she attends the event and sits at Sutton's table, which clearly wasn't canceled. What? <laughs> Sutton says she can prove she didn't cancel the table. Why she would need to, I don't know, because like I just said, she was there. But in any regard, Diana responds and says, this is all tacky and embarrassing. Immediately, Rinna parrots Diana. This is so tacky. This is so embarrassing. Girl, you started this. Slander comes up, and Erica is slithering around in the background. Slander. Slander. Sutton whips out the receipts, literal receipts, for the purchase of her table. $11,500 for two tickets. And as Garcelle says, she paid for the table, y'all. Of course Dorit chimes in, but did you back out at the last second? No, she didn't. Lisa was there, sitting at Sutton's table. 
Even Diana, who was clearly brought there as a pawn in Rinna's game, looks at the receipts and just kind of shuts it all down. Because she knows Sutton's right. How could Sutton cancel the table that they both sat at? Sutton apologizes again for quote-unquote stepping in it, and Erica chimes in, where's my apology? Sutton calmly responds, you're not getting one because I don't like you. This is where they turn into complete children, fake laughing and mocking each other and telling each other to shut up, no you shut up, no you shut up. It was actually very entertaining. <laughs> I love to see grown women shrink into toddlers. Sutton and Rinna finally seem to move on, and they hug it out, and Kyle looks on in disgust. In her confessional, she says that their reconciliation is the biggest bullshit she's ever seen, which honestly is funny coming from Miss Beverly Hills' is my town and I have to be friends with everyone in it. I mean, Kyle's best friends with a woman who claimed her sister was about to die from an overdose, remember? Kyle drops by Sutton's store, Sutton by Aileen too. <laughs> Just kidding. So they're discussing Sutton's upcoming event with her previously held up by immigration designer. You guys know Sutton was putting out fires all weekend. <laughs> so Kyle asks if everything's okay with Sutton because she seemed very blasé and nonchalant about Dorit's burglary. Sutton doubles down and she says she was busy and she was working. And Kyle says this is a new version of Sutton that she's never seen before. Sutton says she doesn't deal well with violence and guns, given her past circumstances. She says that she was robbed as a child and reminds Kyle that her father shot himself. To which Kyle says, it's not about you, Sutton. Um, you just kind of made it about her. It's all a little gaslighty, and it definitely feels like Kyle was pushing. So according to the rumor mill, my favorite mill, by the way, Kyle knew that Sutton supposedly didn't believe that Dorit's burglary was legit. Something a lot of the fans think, actually and Kyle was trying to push her to say it on camera, make it a storyline. There's a lot of chess playing this episode, huh? But where's Bobby Fischer hyphen Vanderpump? So those Kathy Hilton rumors we had previously talked about are making their way through the Bravoverse again this week, with screenshots of DMs from Lisa Rinna herself spreading around where she specifically calls out Kathy's homophobia and racism, and makes implication that bigotry is a family affair. She says the whole family is racist, and they got it from their mama. Now, it's not totally clear whether she's saying Kyle, Kim, and Kathy all got their racism from Big Kath, or that Paris, Nikki, and Conrad all got it from Kathy. But my guess is the latter, considering that there are already videos in the media from the past of the Hilton siblings saying some extremely problematic things. Google it. There were a lot of rumors, if you recall, including that Kathy had called Sutton's gay assistant an FAG, but Sutton denied it, and the assistant even posed for a photo with Sutton and Kathy. I don't know, maybe he had a gun to his head. As far as the racism stuff, I'm conflicted. On one hand, it's really not that hard to believe, you know, what with her I don't see color comments last season. But on the other hand, maybe she just meant that she really can't see color. Remember when she thought Garcelle was Kyle? Okay, guys, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Blonde Hair, Black Heart. Make sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And please, please go give me a nice little five-star rating or review. Until next time, bye!